not much makes sense but the presence of god um in my life and even though like as i study more and you don't have to be a scholar to be a theologian um but as i like study and learn and just live with people and do life with people that are suffering and people in the disability community um it's the presence of god that i don't really understand when i don't understand i just know that god is there What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. My name is Ethan. My name is Gary. And guys, go check us out on social media. We got TikToks that'll make you happy. We got Instagrams that are popping off. Or make you mad. Or make you mad. It depends on depends on who you are, but we'll make you happier, make you mad. We we can do both. Uh, We got Instagram. We got Facebook that hardly is used. um, And we're on YouTube. Got Shorts and all our podcasts there, as well as on Spotify and iTunes and all that places. So. Go check it out. Go share it with your friends. Subscribe to all those places. It really helps us get the word out and reach people. So go yes, do that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So today we have um, an awesome guest. Her name is Michelle Eastman. She has a master's in divinity, and she started an Instagram page called Disability Theology. She also consults with churches on this topic. Um, I, I thought it was really interesting when I saw her page. I think we uh, met through mutual followers. Um, I think, uh, was it Peter? Or, Peter Volk. Yeah, Peter Volk, um, that we had mutual followers in. And I was like, well, this is really interesting. I've never heard of disability theology before. And so we started going through a page. We thought it was interesting. We really wanted to learn more. And we couldn't find a lot of resources on the internet. And so we were like, let's just try to get her on the podcast and have a conversation about it. Um, mm-hmm. So is there anything I missed in that intro that you want to plug? Did I make any? Did I lie or anything? Did I lie? <laughs> no, it's not. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about the Instagram page, how long ago you started it, what it's been like, and we'll get into it. Yeah. So, um, I started the page about two and a half years ago when I was in my uh, degree program in Boston. And um, it really came out of a kind of desire and need to share this information I was learning from seminary um, with the disabled community and allies alike. Um where I felt like I didn't want people to have to get, go to seminary to learn what I was learning. And so I was like, how do I make this information accessible? Because as I was um, learning this stuff, it was very liberative for me as somebody with a disability. Um, who's, um, and so I just started talking with the disability community. Have you heard of disability theology? Hmm. And um, everybody said no. Hmm. And so then when I started sharing more about it, um, the conversation, and so then I realized, how do I get this information out succinctly in a way that doesn't have to, you don't have to be an academic or you don't have to like, you know, care about all these big theological words, but how can I make it so it's accessible for people so that they can learn about it and their churches can be more exclu- inclusive for people with disabilities. Um, so that's kind of the need it came out of. And uh, yeah, it's been going ever since. Interesting. Was this like a topic that was offered Um, at your seminary or was it just an an interest that you took on yourself during seminary? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So in my seminary, uh, they offer a lot of um, different theological um, kind of interests in which you can study, you know, feminist theology, womanist theology, um, black liberation theology. And um, so they have a lot of intersections with theology and what you can say marginalized group. Hmm. And so they have one class on disability and ministry um 
And I thought to myself, oh, well, I don't really want to take this class because, like, just because I have a disability. But then I thought, like, um, you know, why not? And so that kind of piqued my interest. Um, but it was more around, like, practice in ministry. But I think what actually started the kind of um, disability theology part was taking um, a class called Liberation Theology, where we went through um many different theologies when you talk about intersectionality with different uh, marginalized groups and disabilities was one of them. But then I also took a class um, on Job and suffering. Mm -hmm. And there we um, talked about different biblical scriptures and how to think about Job as disabled. Um, and that's what kind of flipped my switch on of like, oh, I never thought about disability in the Bible as anything other than something trying to be healed or something trying to be fixed. Hmm. And so to think about um, disability in Job as more of a celebration um, made me think maybe there's other passages in the Bible that I can dig into that would make it, that would change my view of disability. Hmm. Um, and that's what happened. So I just kind of started studying more and more and brought it in, um, in every class, like even if it was a worship class or a Bible class on Genesis, I was always tying in disability somehow because um, my seminary really gave me the permission. They said, we don't know a lot about this topic, but we want to support you in it. So mm -hmm. they kind of just said, um, we're here. And so I it was a little bit of both teachers, like piquing my interest, but also me kind of paving the way um, in my seminary degree. Mm -hmm. Wow. What, what did they say about Job, I've never heard that before. I'm kind of curious. So if you could like maybe teach us what the, you learned about Job and and how you could rethink of him as being disabled, is that if that's what you said? But like, yeah, what is that? I've never heard that before. Can you go into that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for Job, um, you know, he's covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes, and um, and because of the devil testing him. And um, so it starts that, that off in chapter one, and then you skip all the way to chapter 42, and it's the restoration, what we call the restoration passages. So we see that Job is restored when he lost everything. He, in the beginning, he lost, you know, his livelihood, his many of his family members, and then he lost his health. Um, and the list goes on. And then in uh, Job 42, when I talk how the God restored Job um, to, to twofold of whatever he had before, um, hmm. it doesn't mention anything about his body. And um, there was one scholar named Jeremy Scripter who says, whether this is an intentional redaction of the author um, of Job or whether it was added later, just he said if we can just imagine what it means for job's boiled body from the top of his head to the bottom of his, of his feet to not be mentioned in that passage and so he just kind of ignites um this theological imagination hmm. does this mean that god saw job's body as completely whole and healed and not needing to be restored is it the absence of job's body an invitation to think of present illness as healed, as restored, as redeemed. And I was like, yeah, 
but the thing about it is um you know as somebody with a disability I'm like that's a nice you know that's a nice thought but like if I was covered with my boils from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes I would not think that that was enough yeah I was and many in the people in the disability community would be like that's a cute way to look at it but I mean, the fact is he was still in pain. He was still suffering. Right. But what the author is inviting us to do is to think about um, how we think about illness and disease and calamity in the first place as a bad thing, as something that we can't survive with, as something that's sin, which Job's friends all talk about right. throughout all, all of the book. And then later in, after, in chapter 42... It says that um, Job was received with all of his family and friends. Um, and in that time, if you were covered from with boils all over, like people would be avoiding you. And in the first century, you know, it wasn't, you weren't considered pure um, and, and a risk to your community. Not necessarily because as just in itself, but just in protecting your whole community from disease, illness, and all of that, like leprosy. So the fact that Job was received with open arms at, um, at the table with his family and friends, the author invited us just to think, um, if Job walked into this house full of boils and he was received, um, that, that was like such a subversive narrative. And then it also says that at the end, when Job is wrestling with God right before chapter 42, it says um, in Aramaic that God touched his face. So again, we have a lot of these things in which to picture Job's body where God's touching him and his family and friends are touching him, which would be unheard of in the first century. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's it's interpretation, but what my um, how my professor summarized it all it was he just said he had a son with down syndrome and he was about five at the time i took this class so maybe yeah two years ago he said for my son with down syndrome when reading this passage in this way about job's absent body i get to tell him i get to read this example of the story and just imagine with him and let him know that he is enough that he is not broken that God loves him, that his community loves him just the way he is. Hmm. And I think it's just the conversation to invite a different way of looking at one's disability, how Job brings on this different narrative of wholeness as somebody with boils. And, um, you know, for a definition of a disability, it's, you know, Something that impacts your daily life is basically the CDC um, definition. And so I know that Job, um, his daily life was affected by being covered in boils. So that's where the disability connection comes in. Um, mm, and great. just, yeah. So I just offer that as a way to think about, obviously it's not a perfect, um, there's a lot of discussion within this of like what we, how we look at disability healing wholeness but i think what's really important to take out of this story is that in the first century when people were healed it was so that they could be brought back into their community but oftentimes when people experience 
practices of healing today that the disability community has said that they feel that they're more isolated and alone and ashamed than um, from their community when people try to heal them. And so I think it's just an interesting story to think about Job's community accepting him as he was. Um, God mm-hmm. touching his face as he was. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll stop there, but that's a little bit of it. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's really insightful because, yeah, I've never picked up on that part of Job and it does beg the question, like, yeah, why did that part get left out, you know? But I do think, like, whatever may be the answer, there's obvious biblical guidelines of, like, we still need to receive people into community despite differences of all kinds, you know, yeah. and, and what have you. And so I think it's hinting at something that's very true and very biblical and that's something that we always are trying to get better at it feels like yeah 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 well we'd love to know more about the beginning of this page that you started in disability theology and what exactly it is like the the term disability theology and um, we kind of got into it a little bit uh, but is there like a more of a fullness you want to bring in in uh, defining that for us and for the audience yeah sure so um this is an ongoing question of what is disability theology um and I'm actually in a um, a book club. It's called the Dead Crip um, Book Club Society. Um, and um, we were talking about how the definition of disability theology, every definition we have found doesn't feel adequate to what we feel as members of the disability community. Hmm. One being this field started with um, able-bodied people that have brothers and sisters with disabilities hmm. um, or relations with people with disabilities um, writing about disability. Hmm. So um, many of the, basically what I'm saying is many of the definitions have come from able-bodied people. Hmm. And not that this is uh, totally wrong, but I think as years have gone on, because this field is very new, hmm. it's only about 50 years old compared to uh, biblical studies um, that's, you know, years and years, thousands and thousands of years, um, scholars. Um, there's a lot of people now saying we need um, better definition of disability theology that feels that is coming from the disability community itself. Mm. And um, so we're currently trying to actually workshop the definition within um, our group. But there is only one like scholarly definition about disability theology, but um, that talks about disability within uh, biblical hermeneutics mm. or biblical view. But I would say that kind of my definition of disability theology is um, because theology is really God talk. Mm. So how simplify it? So when I talk about disability theology, it's just God talk. How we talk about and ability within that. Hmm making sure that um, our symbols and language of God, the Bible, um, church are liberative in relation to disability. So the tagline of my um, account is creating more sacred spaces that celebrate bodily difference and somatic differences. Mm. Um, And so for me, disability theology means God talk that celebrates disability period. Um, and I will say that 
that definition came out of a need for when I was doing a research project around um, disability theology. Um, I met with 20 people in the disability community and I met with people from Ireland, Indonesia, um, Spain. I met with people from the U.S. And we just had a conversation about their experiences within the church as a disabled person. Hmm. And these were people that were atheists, super Christian, um, people who had walked away from the church recently. It was a mix of people. Hmm. And um, I just said, you know, what is your experience with Christian theology? Hmm. And out of the 20 people I interviewed, all of them had reported negative experiences within the church. Whether they were Christian or not, they were talking about how they were experiencing um, Christians chasing them down in the streets and the bathrooms trying to heal them. They talked about their priests telling them, you know, that um, God works everything for the good of those who love him. And she told me, you know, if if he would have just said, you know, I'm sorry, I would like, I'm sorry you're wrestling with your disability and your questions with God in relation to that. And this sucks. Instead of saying that God's going to use this, she said, I might have stayed at the church. But what what they were getting at is people's theology of disability was making them feel like they couldn't be in the church. And so out of 20 of those people, three people had left because of negative experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that, we just kind of cried and laughed and like talked about these crazy experiences realizing we're not alone and then we shared about what if in heaven there are disabilities you know and we were just talking about that and i think all this conversation led me to kind of what i pointed to earlier of we need to have better theology that does better to not only the disability community but that because there's a better gospel out there than just you should be healed, fixed. Mm. Um, you're not because that's the message. That's not. I know that's not the message that many Christians are trying to say, but that is the message that many people with disabilities are internalizing. Hmm. Um, so yeah. So you feel like this maybe comes out of like a lack of empathy and understanding, and more of like a people in the disability community feel like hey, you're treating me like a project to fix when I'm actually a person I want to be seen. Is that, would you say that is is what it is? Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. I think, um, you know, I, I travel and talk about this a lot with different groups. And, you know, one girl said, I'd rather like them pray for my bank account than pray for my body. Wow. You know, like just joking, saying like they don't, like a lot of people have said, Many of the people we've encountered in different in the in this religion don't even ask us our name. It's more of a spiritual target wow, to add to their resume. And so when I talk about this, like even in my community, people are like, "That those are extreme people. Like that doesn't happen all the time, but it actually happens more often than not." And whether it's subtle, what we call ableism, privileging able-bodied over disabled bodies, is what ableism is. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's subtle or really extreme, like somebody came up to my sister who was also in a wheelchair and said, you know, you're the devil is inside of you. That's why you're like that. Like, so, so whether it's extreme like that or like not making space for somebody on stage for worship, 
because they're a wheelchair user. You know, it can be subtle or extreme, but the message is, you know, you don't belong here and that mm. God would rather you be um, able-bodied. Mm. Wow, very interesting. Mm. I know both of us uh, aren't, like, physically disabled, and so, like, we don't have a lot of experience in what it might be like for someone in the church um, who is disabled and, like, all of the things that they go through and the, the slight, like, uh, ableism, like you called it, that they or even extreme ableism that they could experience. Uh, have you experienced any of that yourself? Like in the church? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Um, I I mean, there's many things I can share, but I think um, I'm privileged because I, you know, I'm able to walk and my disability is um, not as prevalent as a lot of people, but it still affects my daily life. Mm. And um, so I would say that um, my kind of, a lot of my encounters with where we're with charismatic Christians trying to heal me um because i didn't because i grew up in a baptist mega church wow. that doesn't talk about the holy spirit in that way mm-hmm. um and so i didn't encounter people trying to heal me until i went to college but then i joined um ywam youth with a mission uh and i was on staff with them for three years and it was there like my first night people were trying to heal me so it just became a process of Hey, I love the Lord. I believe in healing, but, um, you know, this is more of a conversation for me than it is just like, uh, you know, you need to be healed. And I, and I just, I recommend to people, like if, if they are like, if they believe in healing and they want to, and they believe that that's their gift and mission to do that, great, but have a conversation, ask the person what healing means for them before you heal, try to heal them, you know, ask them their name. And makes and let them pray for you as well. Like, don't let it be a mm. one-way transaction. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, I like I can share specific stories, but really, what started kind of me questioning: Does God want me to walk normal? Does God like love me like this? Um, mm. is, is my body good or is my body bad? It all started from people trying to heal me, and it not not all of them were like, you know like super negative like very nice people and um but at the same time i felt like when it becomes this transactional thing Mm. um it really misses the point of this communion and belonging and being known and and sharing in the goodness of god when it makes people feel that they um you know need to be healed in order to be part Mm. of god's kingdom yeah i can imagine like uh experiencing that like in a charismatic arena and maybe if that happens even once a month to you like at church or something that would become a very much a part of how you think other people view you because that is like what they're telling you they view you as and so it'd be really easy for it to become like a part of your identity and then you would think well man there must be something wrong with me like i'm just a project people are always trying to fix yeah, I never thought about it that way, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really interesting. It would be a lot of pressure, I feel like, because I'd be like, I don't know if I want to go to church today because people are going to try to fix me again when I just want to come and like worship the Lord and learn about Him or connect with Him or something. I can see how that might bring some anxiety to even the practice of going to church. No, like you said it perfectly, um, and that's why a lot of disabled people struggle to go to church. Not only are the buildings inaccessible, um, but they don't feel safe once they get inside. 
And what my friend from Ireland said is like, it's not just about, do you have a ramp to your sanctuary? Like once the person gets inside, do they feel safe? Do they feel loved? And this doesn't even just go from people coming up to you in the street. It's like when you get up on the stage and the pastor's saying, you know, all rise and stand on your feet to worship. You know, can we think about a way that includes mm. everybody that and that doesn't even include people with disabilities. That's people with, um, you know, temporary disabilities or elderly people. Um, or when they do, like, is anybody sick today? Can we heal you? Like, raise your hand. Well, my friend who's deaf is like, I'm deaf, but I don't think I need to raise my hand. And then somebody taps her on the shoulder, like, why aren't you raising your hand? So it's a lot of the question of, I don't know what's going to happen today when I walk in this church. And like you said, um, that's anxiety producing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Do you think that it like language of like, Hey, like all rise and stand your feet is inherently bad. Like what would be the, what would be the appropriate thing to do in your opinion for that? Yeah, no, I don't think it's bad at all. I just think there's um, a lot more of different embodiments that people carry mm -hmm. um, that, the, the the language could expand to include um, the people that are going to sit or the people that are gonna um, stand for only a little bit. So mm -hmm. there's um, so it's not a bad thing. It's just all disability theology is is about expanding our language to think deeper about um, the different embodiments that often get ignored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, I've seen that in a lot of different churches lately that I've been to or people instead of like asking them to stand and pray or something, the pastor will just say like, ready your heart before the Lord or like get yourself in a position like where you're ready to worship or something like that. Um, which may, maybe will be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, in another way is like, in whatever way you're comfortable, you know, engage, hmm. um, you can engage like it's just an invitation and a conversation to say hey we don't all move the same way and that's totally okay hmm. um but I, what i want you guys to take from this conversation isn't or people listening isn't like the church is horrible and disabled people hate the church <laughs> no that's not it's like amazing ministries going on there's people doing the hard work of you know printing larger bulletins and making sure that people that have need different audio accommodations have it and but like the list goes on mm -hmm. but i think it's more it's not just the church it's that society with large um has ignored disabled people for a very long time and you know we were the last people people group to get um civil rights mm -hmm. um churches are still um, exempt from the civil rights ada law americans with disabilities act um meaning they don't have to comply to any accessible accommodations wow. um and so these are just some of the things where disabled people are institutionalized for a large part of the civil rights movement all of these things and so it's just actually society has bled into the church and, and the church has bled into society to not welcome um disabled people so it's actually coming from so many different places and i think i believe that the church can be a place where it can start changing this large uh, disabled people um, are are not included, but also like being erased from society from the very beginning. 
Um, and there's so much history I can share, but I think it's more like, hey, the church has actually contributed to a lot of these narratives in society as well with so much history and eugenics and all of this stuff. But how can the church now be a part of changing this narrative so that people with every body and every sensory, um, you know, um, can can be feel like the church is for them, not against them. Hmm. What do you think that the church can start to do, maybe in little or in big ways, to start to help to change those larger narratives? Yeah, well, that, that's a very large uh, task and question, and I think it varies from church to church. But I would say uh, how I always kind of start this conversation um, is one, start listening to the disabled people in your church and and host listening sessions, ask them what's working, what's not. Um, and then two, do you have disabled people in your church? And if you do, great, great. And if you don't, why not? Um, because one in four people have a disability. So the odds are um, there's not only dis disabled people in your community, but there's most likely disabled people in your church, but do they feel comfortable talking about it? Um, and so I would say, because I can't speak for everybody with a disability, and I'm not an expert on disability theology or every disability. So I can't um, tell, like I can't say a blanket statement, but what I can say is um, how do we let disabled voices be heard in the church and be in leadership in the church? Um, and so that for me, that starts with listening to the congregation um, and how do we outreach to people with disabilities where they're not afraid, um, but can feel welcome. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Have you uh, seen the church start to change in like the, the recent past at all towards this? Um, or do you think it's kind of majorly stay the same for a while? Um, that's hard because I, I don't look at it as like a capital C church. Like I just look at it like all, I mean, I do and I don't. I, mm. so I see like, de, you know, denominations all over, like, um, changing their handbook when it comes to disability and like doing amazing things. And then I see that people are still pushing ableist theology. And so it's a little bit of, um, two steps forward, one step back. Dairy, like you looked up this topic on the internet and you couldn't find much. I mean, there's a lot of work to do in this area. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of like able bodies still like writing um, in this field. So it it's gonna take like a lot, a lot more effort to make this, mm. make it so that it's not only well known, but that there's many resources for different churches. Because when I go to one church, I there's like I have to be aware of their theology and what they're working on versus another church. And so mm -hmm. it just varies. I, I think um, for many people of the disability community, they feel hurt and they don't want to deal with the church. But I, I have hope that um, people are excited about this. People want to learn about it. Mm -hmm. People haven't even encountered it like how you guys are saying. So people, so I feel like it's getting more exposure. Mm -hmm. Um and I think it goes along with like how 
um, other people with uh, like marginalized identities feel in the church. Like mm-hmm. disability theology makes us think of um, embodied vulnerabilities. And so that goes the same with people of color, queer people, like it's embodied vulnerabilities. So it actually opens up, what I love about this is it opens up conversations to have with a lot of people on the margins. And it's not just about disability pride, isn't just about disability, but it's about the connection with so many other marginalized groups and how we think about theology in a creative way to to imagine a kingdom that's full of difference in a really beautiful way. So mm-hmm. I would say yes and no. Do you think that um, more of the problem is within the individual's thoughts and how they think about disabled people or in their actions and how they play out those thoughts? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's both uh, like your thoughts lead to your praxis. Mm-hmm. Like your thoughts lead to your practice is another way to say that. And so how you think is how you live. And so I think it, like my message isn't just for the church, it's for everybody. Like how the society and the church think about disability is, is like very connected, like mm-hmm. I was saying earlier. So I think, yeah, it comes down to the individual's thoughts on disability. Um that leads to them practicing, but it also comes down to the theology of um, sin and redemption and eschatology, um, how we think about heaven. And so um, how we think of um, Jesus' resurrection and all of those things lead to um, how we think about disability. Mm -hmm. So it's like a both and it's like, our theological beliefs kind of practice also our societal beliefs that uh, very much say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Earlier, you had mentioned um, ableism theology or ableist theology. What does that mean? Because I only heard, I've heard people say ableism, but I didn't start looking into it till like yesterday. And um, when I, the first video I saw said ableism was like, um, kind of on the same par of like racism where you prefer another the able group over the disabled group and they show a lot of preference and it said like and this has led to like eugenics and this stuff and this stuff in the past and I thought wow that's a really big deal I don't want anything to do with that and if that's what that like you can see that in the past like like they said with eugenics and stuff like that but I thought like if there is ableism in the church that's a really big deal and we should try to guard against that and because I think like this is like a pretty bold statement to say like that. So so what does that mean to say there's a, what is ableist theology? Like what does that entail? Yeah, I don't know if the I don't know if there's been like a if anybody's coined the phrase ableist theology. I think it's just the question of uh, those. Yeah, those are ableist interpretations, like biblical interpretations. Mm. So one very cool is. Um, like disability is sin. Hmm. Um, right. Which I feel like is pretty clear in scripture. They're like, no, because they, they asked Jesus the same thing. Like, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his or his um, or his parents? And he's like, what? Neither, guys. Come on. That was my paraphrase. He doesn't say yeah. it like that. <laughs> oh, you got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think what I say is... Uh, 
there's many interpretations of disability in scripture mm-hmm. and to say that it's just ableist or that it's just all like niceties is not correct mm-hmm. um because there's like you're saying um ethan of yeah in in john 9 it clears up that disability is in sin but in mark 2 it's very clear that jesus is associating disability with sin so i think it's more mm-hmm. like having an honest interpretation of scripture is that yeah sometimes scripture is ableist and we have to deal with those things and and get them and deal with it head on to say hey this was written for time in a time and place for a certain type of people and now we're interpreting it today and so we have to be very careful of those interpretations going back to how does these interpretations affect how we love and live in community with people with disabilities. So with Mark 2 specifically, I just pulled it up because I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Um, are you talking about when he heals the paralytic and he like forgives his sins first? Yes. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I guess I just, I don't immediately, in, I mean, I would love to see how like ableism is read into this, but upon like reading it, I don't know if it would, if it, in, like upon like just literally like reading it right now and, and hashing it out, it doesn't seem like it's obvious that ableism is in there because he said like Jesus forgives his sins, and then it doesn't say that it says why it says sons your sins are forgiven, um, and they said like well, why is he forgiving sins and he's like hey, like he it doesn't say he got healed when his sins were forgiven it says why do you question these things in your hearts which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or rise up and take your bed and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, oh, is that where the part is? He, because he has authority to forgive sins. And he says, I say, pick up your bed and go home. Yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Because I always thought that was like, he forgave the sins and he was still paralyzed. And then to prove that he's God and prove that he can mm-hmm. do that, he also was just like, I'll also heal him for your sake. Because they, they had an idea, like the Jews would always think like, who can heal people but God? And so they were like, he's like, hey, your sins are forgiven. They're like, only God can do that. And he's like, oh, you also think only God can heal. So let me heal real quick so you can, because I'm showing you I'm God. So I guess I didn't, I didn't read that in there, but I would, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, um, in like, in reading different commentaries on this, like you're saying, Ethan, I also didn't read um, like Abel's interpretations right away. But I think um, what many scholars are saying is that, it's still, um, cor- it's still correlating sin with disability in the way that um, Jesus is talking about healing, and um, interesting. And I wouldn't just say, oh, that's ableism. It's more of um, ableism is going back to what you're saying earlier, privileging able bodies over disabled bodies, mm-hmm. like saying that's better. Um, essentially, is like the fundamental. So saying like that the paralytic needs to be healed to have a better life in order to succeed in society um and so many scholars are just saying we can't get around this issue that mark two is still talking about disability in correlation with sin even if god is showing or jesus is showing his power um it still invites this conversation of uh just and it doesn't also what they say is it doesn't totally obliterate this um theology of 
disability is sin, hmm. which is okay because it, yeah, that's not the point. The like it's not the point to rewrite these scriptures. The point is to have yeah. the point is to have conversation in which we can think deeply about what is our theology of disability what do we think because you know it's the only minority in which we can fall into at any any point like any of you guys can mm. become disabled at any point so i think yeah. having a theology of disability is not just important for your neighbor across the street or or somebody you've known for a very long time it's important for everybody and so the mm -hmm. scripture is more inviting it's very confusing it's like what is happening is jesus saying that disability is sin or that like it is easier to heal him versus him having sin connected to his disability. Like, I think it invites more confusion, but where there's confusion, I always think it's an invitation for curiosity. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Interesting. I've never read that as well into that passage. I've always thought they were disconnected, but obviously I'm not a scholar. So yeah. well, interesting I mean, to read those commentaries. I'd love to, to yeah. look at those. I got, I, um, I didn't I didn't do well in school like academically. <laughs> so whenever people say they're scholars, I'm like, well, that just means you read a lot. In my, it's like I don't want to belittle scholarship. I know like education's good, but yeah. in my mind, I'm like, oh, I didn't see it in there, and that's an interpretation I'm allowed to have. So I thought, like, yeah, well, can't we all just not see it in there? But I guess if it's actually becoming like, if people have like, you know, I can't deny people's experiences. Just like we always grant people that. Yeah. Um. It's just interesting because I would just be like, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this is just evidence of Jesus showing his power as God mm -hmm. to both forgive sins and then to show that he has the power to forgive sins. He's healing. And I don't know, know if they're connected because that would mean that, yeah, John 9 and, and Mark 2 contradict, which I would think that Jesus well, You see in the Old teaching. Testament, there's also a lot of connection from sin to, uh, to well, where sicknesses and stuff like that. Well, God causes it on people for because of their sin. Well, I mean, that's a more of a... He calls madness. Pretty much most of the calamities were brought on by Israel's disobedience and their sin. Well, you're saying, like, where in the Old Testament did God make someone disabled? Uh, I mean, I don't know if he, like, directly makes someone disabled, right? Mm -hmm. But pretty much all of the bad things that happen to them are a product of their sin, whether they're brought on by God or other nations. Well, yeah, that's because they were under the covenant of the Torah. And yeah. he said, hey, if you disobey the, Torah, the covenant, this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. and that, but that was not like, you're going to become disabled. It was like, you're going to go into captivity. Do you want to weigh in on this? Where does <laughs> no, I mean, I love it. I love it. Um, no, I mean, I, I don't know if I would say that, like, God is, causes people to be disabled. But, I mean, I mean, yes and no. Like, Moses, you know, had trouble in speech. Yeah. Um no, in Leviticus, it talks about uh, disabled priests can't go to the, can't give offerings to the temple. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, um, and then we have, uh, well, I'm just saying that disability is everywhere in the Bible. And once you see it, mm -hmm. you can't unsee it. Like, it's yeah. everywhere. And so, yeah, does, is, is God causing disability? I would say more like um, God allows it to be part of this grander mm -hmm. story. Yeah. Um, and for negative and yeah i'd say like it doesn't disqualify people from partaking in the kingdom mm -hmm. but yeah it's, it's interesting because the i'm interested in what you you said earlier you said that you had conversations like oh will disabled people be in in heaven and stuff like that or will 
there'll be disability in heaven would be a better way to say it. What are you, <laughs> what are you, because yes, disability will be in heaven. But what is your thoughts there? Um, uh, so it's changed. I think it's, hmm. uh, for me growing up in a evangelical megachurch, more like disability was always the answer or sorry heaven was always the answer to my disability like mm. one day you will walk one day you will run without any pain like all of these things like like one day you will be in heaven basically and um so much so that somebody wrote a song for me and my family about the glories of heaven and the promise of heaven so um but the thing that that did for me as a young child is that it made it so that like waiting till I died was like the hope, but what about this whole time of living? Mm. It made it very confusing. Like the only time in which I'm going to feel better and feel whole is when I'm dead. So it made this idea of living with a disability now, um, whether it was intentionally or conscious, Mm. um, made it very like not an exciting thing to look forward to. Interesting. um, For my eight year old brain to like process yeah so rather than helping you be like oh yay maybe like that'll happen but instead it made you feel like wow okay so like you're telling me i won't be like at a level of satisfaction that you think i should be at until Mm. i get to heaven and that that didn't end up helping you in that sense yeah Mm. so how do what how should we discuss this then when it's like we do believe that at least i believe in heaven like all these things will be like every everything from the curse of sin will be removed and even to the point like you know like we have ang- a lot of people have anger management problems right like that no one's gonna be angry you know and like everything and then also recognizing people's um value and 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 their divine and i would say intrinsic value that god has for them and that they can be totally fulfilled in christ now like what does that look like to have those conversations in the disability community because we don't know what that's like yeah, I think it's just like um, bringing up different ideas of disability now and in heaven that make people extremely uncomfortable hmm. and getting to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Which one of those things being, what if there's disabilities in heaven? Hmm. And one of my friends, and then there's people that are very against it because it's like, hmm. yeah, well, my mom has had cancer her whole life. Like, I don't want cancer to be in heaven. But right. so you're you're able to have like have your interpretation how you want Mm. um especially when it comes to loved ones like that but i think as long as your interpretation isn't making people feel worse in their bodily Mm. limitations now then um and having those ominous conversations i think it it always comes back to relationship and as long as people aren't feeling like uh, um this ableist interpretation going back to like you're privileging like the able body is the only way to live a healthy and good and flourishing life you know as long as your interpretations aren't negating what it means for me to ver- flourish versus you then great but i think that comes down to just let's talk about things that make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. like let's invite a way of thinking about disability that I've never heard until I was like 25, hmm. you know, yeah. why did it take me so long to think about myself in heaven as disabled? 
Um, and then my friend said, well, I think that there will be disabilities in heaven, but I just don't think that we will be in pain anymore. Hmm. And I think this was an interesting kind of comment for me because I was in, talking to a group of all people with cerebral palsy, um, mobility disability. And so pain is a, a main component of that disability. It's mm. what I have as well. And so it was just interesting to say it wasn't erasing like the um, unique contours of our disability and how we move. It was just the component of pain. And so I thought that was a beautiful like thing of I totally accepted look how I walk. I love myself, but I just don't want to be in pain. And for me, heaven doesn't mean erasing the uniqueness of that. It just means erasing mm-hmm. pain that comes with that. And so I mm-hmm. thought that was a really interesting um, way to think about that. Um, and I also think, like, when I asked my sister who's in a wheelchair, like, do you think, like, do you like the idea of having a disability in heaven? And my sister is uh, developmentally affected, so she has more of a like a younger mindset so conversations about these things look different and when i said you know what if you have disability in heaven she said no like 10 times Hmm. and i was like megan you're being like a brat like like just think about it you know Hmm. like and i tried rephrasing it like 10 times and she was like no Hmm. and so i was like okay and then i just i decided to just say one more thing about it and i just said like what if you had disability, you had your disability in heaven, but the way you feel celebrated and you're, there's a disabled kind of young adults group she goes to at church. What if when you're in heaven, you feel as celebrated and known as you do when you're at your church, disabled church group? And she's, and I said, like, what if it's like, you know, a party like that? And she screams immediately, yes. And so it just made me think, like, our, like her theology of distinction when I talked about celebrating her body versus her feeling neglecting, ignored, or not enough. Hmm. Uh, how she uh, probably often feels um, confined to a wheelchair today, which, like, and I, that's not everybody's experience, but that's what she's, hmm. you know, articulated to me in so many words over the years. So, yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I know uh, we're coming to the end of our time here. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say before we ask our last question? Um, I would say for people listening um, and for you all, um, and a, a really good way to think about disability theology, there's many um, good books you can read on thinking about scriptures differently with disability when it comes to Pentecost and all of these different things, um, the resurrection, and it's just beautiful. But I think... One thing I encourage people to do in thinking about disability theology is, is that it's really an invitation to think about your own um, body vulnerability, like your own body. How do you feel in your body? How are you comfortable around other bodies? Like, so, it, when, and once you can think about your own body vulnerability, um, it really helps you to think and have compassion for others with um with that are dealing with these things and so once we can get more comfortable inside of our body it can go a long way to think about disability theology in general because it's an invitation to think about just that um yeah that's great 
Awesome. Um, so the thing that we created this podcast around is people who have hard or tough questions around Christianity. A lot of our friends growing up had left the church um, for one reason or another, and so we wanted to create this podcast for people who still want to have a relationship with God but aren't afraid to ask those hard questions. And so we ask every guest the same question at the end of the show, and we basically ask people, what is the hardest thing you've either experienced or um, the hardest question you've experienced that's made you um, question or doubt your faith that you've now overcome or maybe you're still wrestling with um, which keeps you a Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah, well. And maybe um, you don't have that queued up, and that's all good. We can we can skip past it. But if you have anything to share, we'd love to to encourage our audience with it. Um, I think off the top of my head, it's just been the question of suffering for mm-hmm. um, myself and the people I love or the people I don't know. Um, it's always for me as a, as a young kid, it's always been like, why does God allow? Sorry. God's like, no, <laughs> Go, why, does, why does God allow people to suffer? Hmm. Um, has always been the thing that's me and not only with myself, but like I said, just with the answering that question for myself and for other people has been the hardest thing. Um, yeah. But I think what brings me back to, um, like hope and like what keeps me in it is like uh not much makes sense but the presence of god um in my life and even though like as i study more and you don't have to be a scholar to be a theologian um but as i like study and learn and just live with people and do life with people that are suffering and people in the disability community um it's the presence of god that i don't really understand when i don't understand i just know that god is there um, and it's something that even when I've tried to run away or tried to reason away, like that, you know, God doesn't exist or whatever. Um, it's those moments where I, I just have to trust in the mystery um, and know that, like, I do believe that there is hope in the end. Um, and that's the only thing, even in liberation theology, like that's that's kind of like the hill I'm going to die on because, it, you know, it's uh that's got to make sense um, yeah. in some way. That's great. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Well, guys, yeah. thanks for watching this episode, for listening. Um, I know I had a great time and I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to explore more of these areas. Um, please, guys, uh, go follow her on her page. Do you have any of the resources besides that you want to plug at the end here? We'll have the link to your page down below as well for Disability Theology on Instagram. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, there's a... I did like a book list or a book giveaway on one of my. Yeah, yeah. So, if you want to start like getting, learning more about this stuff, I would say you know start with some of those books that I have like all the information there. But yeah, um, and then if they have questions, feel free to DM me. Um, this is a big awesome. topic. It's it's fun to learn about. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Yeah, definitely gave us some things to think about. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. See ya. See you guys next week.